Welcome to the Scientific Sense podcast, where we explore emerging ideas from science, policy, economics, and technology. My name is Gil Epen. We talk with world's leading academics and experts about their recent research or general areas of topical interest. Scientific Sense is an unstructured conversation with no agenda or preparation. We cover a wide variety of domains where new discoveries are made and new technologies are developed on a daily basis. We are most interested in how new ideas affect society and help educate the world how to pursue a rewarding and enjoyable life rooted in science, logic, and information. We seek knowledge without boundaries or constraints and provide unedited content of conversations with researchers and leaders who love what they do. A companion blog to this podcast can be found at scientificsense.com and this podcast is available on over a dozen platforms and directly at scientificsense.net. If you have suggestions for topics, guests, and other ideas, please send them to info at scientificsense.com and I can be reached at gil at epen.info. My guest today is Dr. Dibayan Ghosh, who is a co-director of the Digital Platforms and Democracy Project at the Harvard Kennedy School and faculty at Harvard Law School. He's the author of Terms of Disservice, How Silicon Valley is Destructive by Design. Uh, he previously led strategic efforts on privacy at Facebook and served as an economic advisor in the White House during the Obama administration. Welcome, Dibayan. Thanks so much for having me here. Uh, absolutely. So I, I want to start with a few of your articles, uh, recent articles, and uh, the first one is entitled A New Digital Social Contract to Encourage Internet Competition, in which you say over the past year, the common conception that the lion's share of the digital advertising market would securely remain the dom uh, dominion of um, Facebook and, uh, and Google uh, for the foreseeable future was turned on its head with the emergence of an entirely new player, Amazon. Uh, the company's emergence in digital advertising has raised the idea that it might present a major challenge to the market power that Facebook and Google have developed in the sector over the past many years. Um, to tell you the truth, Ibayan, I wasn't aware that Amazon has entered <laughs> digital advertising, uh, <laughs> but in a, in a very short period of time, they built up a, a huge share, right, 8 to 10% of the market or something like that. Uh, but you yeah. in the paper uh, have um, uh, argued that it doesn't really matter from a market power perspective. So do you want to uh, talk a bit about, bit about that? Yeah, Gil. Uh, well, first, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. You know, I love your podcast and uh, you have you have such uh, excellent guests. So I'm really honored to be here. Yeah. Um, you know, this this paper, uh, which I published in the Antitrust Chronicle, um, is is really, uh, you know, this part of it. I, 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 I love the fact that you've highlighted because there's this there's this um, sort of implication that is drawn by companies like Facebook, which I worked for, and, and companies like Google. Um, well, I shouldn't say companies like. I really mean Facebook and Google. <laughs> yeah, right. there, <laughs> there are no that? companies like it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but a lot of people have, have raised the idea that, um, you know, Facebook and Google have a lot of market power, to which uh, Facebook and Google tend to say uh, that, you know what, uh, we don't. We don't have market power because look at where we make our revenue. We make our revenue uh, in the realm of digital advertising. Yeah. You know, uh, the vast the vast share of our revenue comes from digital advertising, um, and uh, and there's plenty of competition in in the in the space of digital advertising. We Facebook have twenty to twenty five percent of that market. Um, uh, we Google have 30 to 35%. Amazon is, is coming along, you know, it, within three, four years, it's, it's gotten to eight to 10%. Um, and then there's, there's a lot of other companies that, that occupy the rest of that, uh, you know, um, 
40, 50% of the market, Snapchat, Microsoft, these kinds of companies come into And play. they will say, right. uh, I would imagine they will say this is contestable markets, even though they have share, it could be contested at any time, right? Precisely, precisely. That, that uh, they'll say that, you know, um, not only do we have all the, uh, we, we only together only have 60, 55, 60% of the share of this market, which means that neither of us has a technical monopoly. Yeah. Um, we're, you know, other companies are breathing down our neck. <laughs> so there's plenty of competition. Yeah. Um, go away, regulators. <laughs> um, so to that, what I would say, and, and what I argue in this, uh, in this paper is that that's, that's the wrong analysis mm. because that's the wrong market to look at. The market that Facebook and Google uh, have monopolized uh, is not digital advertising. Yeah. You recall that these are, these are two-sided platforms. These companies are two-sided platforms where, to take uh, Google as an example, it is cer certainly working with advertisers on one side of the market where Chanel and the NBA and the NFL come to Google and spend their marketing budgets to target individuals over Google's many platforms. But on the other side of the platform, uh, Google is, is also working directly with consumers. Those of us who use Google search or YouTube or email or whatever it might be, maps. Um, and it's that side of the market that this company has monopolized. Um, and what is that market? Uh, well, each of these, if you think about it, the four that I mentioned, for instance, online video uh, for YouTube, Maps uh, for Google Maps, uh, Gmail and email, uh, and search, uh, yeah. Google search and, and, and internet search, each of these is a, is a dominant company in that specific space. Right. Um, and uh, by dominant, I mean, you know, perhaps more than 50, more than, in some cases, 90% of you consumer use of uh, any product in that market goes to Google, and so so, so from a consumer perspective, uh, Dibayan. So from a consumer perspective, uh, anytime you think about any of those services, your first thought is to use the, those products, right? By definition, that's sort of your first choice, right? Uh, only if you cannot find something there, which is very unlikely, that you you look for something else. Exactly. There, there's no doubt in my mind about that uh, in, in the sense that, you know, these, these companies uh, have almost a network effect where you hear about Google Maps from someone and, and, and you know that, well, it, Google Maps has to be the best service right. or Gmail or, or, or YouTube. And indeed, you know, they've become so powerful that it's not really um, a word of mouth sort of thing anymore. It's, it's, it's not really even necessary that that you hear about these things from your friends or you see their content on these platforms first but now of course when we when we search anything um it's these services that are uh that are prioritized over all else and indeed you know i, I would argue also that um perhaps fittingly they, they are probably the best uh services available on the market right. um you know google maps is there's nothing better than google maps there's nothing better maybe than than gmail from a from a consumer perspective uh just thinking about convenience and and style so that is um, um that that is you know economists argue sometimes you know about consumer welfare right so yeah it is okay for these type of monopolies to exist but look at the consumer welfare side of it you're getting great products that are essentially free so so why worry <laughs> well i would argue that that they're not free yeah um you know, uh, Google has, let's say, let's go back to the example of Google search. Um, we can we can also pick on Facebook for a moment. So Facebook has, has monopolized, in its case, other sectors, for instance, social media and web based text messaging. Uh, it, it's a it's a dominant company uh, through its various platforms, Messenger, WhatsApp, uh, the big blue app and Instagram. Um, and other uh, other other services, um, it, it it has this dominating market share in the in the U.S. Uh, over social media and uh, web-based text messaging. Yeah. What's the currency that's lifting from from consumers? The currency is not 
dollars. We don't we don't feel our wallets getting lighter. We don't see our bank accounts getting smaller. Yeah. Um, instead, it's 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 and it's not simply data. A lot of people argue that data is the new oil and data is the new currency. I think that's a little bit too simplistic. Um, I would argue that it's a it's a new form of currency. It's it's you know a lot of companies have our data. Bank of America has our data. Goldman Sachs has our yeah. data. Our, in, our insurance companies have our. Uh, Facebook has not only our data, and it is very it is especially sensitive data. But other companies have especially sensitive <laughs> data too. But it has our data, and it has a monopolized control over our attention in in these subsectors of a broader industry that I call the consumer internet, um, where uh, it, within the consumer in, internet, social media and search and all these dialogical sorts of platforms fall. Um, Facebook is able to rake at a monopolistic rate, I would, I would argue, uh, a currency from us in the form of our data, in the form of our attention and this complex combination of, thereof rake that at a monopolistic rate and then charge fair rates for it from uh, from marketers, from those Chanel's and those NBAs who are trying to target us. Yeah, that, um, is, that is so interesting. So, um, you know, you, you sort of look at the, you say it's aggregate, let's call it aggregate attention, aggregate minutes of attention, which is uh, sort of a constrained resource, right? You've got 8.5 billion people. You cannot, you know, you cannot change that. You've got 24 hours a day. You cannot change that. So the sure. aggregate uh, potential uh, attention is, is constant. And when you get a, a lion's share of that aggregate attention, the power that you're deriving from that is not, um, is not the typical monopoly power is what you're arguing, right? True. It's it's not it's not typical. In fact, it's a it's a it's a natural it's a natural monopoly almost. I, I would argue that these companies are increasingly becoming natural monopolies, where they have that very powerful network effect, where we can't see past Gmail. There, there's no uh, there's no secondary service that uh, comes close to competing with Gmail in, in convenience. Um, I have friends who have tried other kinds of services, and they've come back to Gmail after time. Hmm. Um, there's no there's no competing service for Instagram. Um, we, we can't imagine other companies unseating uh, these these in the in the American media ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, and yes, ab- absolutely they're they're becoming these very powerful uh, natural monopolies whereby uh, they they're they're part of their their um, taking advantage of a very powerful network effect. I, I shouldn't say taking advantage. It, it occurs naturally, this this very powerful network effect. Yeah, so, and, so what's your perception? Um, uh, you know, the, why aren't there competing services? Is it because um, once you get to some uh, percentage of that mind share, available mind share, uh, the, you know, the first more advantages are so high it just takes too much of an investment for it, it, the, it's almost impossible to enter the market. So why, why are there competing services is what, what I'm, you know, um, asking. You know, Gil, I, I think, I think you're absolutely, you've hit the nail on the head that uh, they, they there, there, I'd say three yeah. things. This first mover advantage uh, in this broader consumer internet industry uh, second, there is a very powerful network effect because of the nature of the consumer internet industry. And third, uh, these companies undertake efforts, especially once they've gained some power, they undertake efforts to hold their potential, their would-be rivals at yeah. bay. Uh, and we've seen some evidence of that, which is uh, why we've seen antitrust inquiries and, and anti-competitive in- inquiries from Europe and the mm-hmm. U.S., and, and other jurisdictions. Um, but I would say that, yes, it, it's, it's probably this combination of things that really institutes a half organic, half artificial barrier to entry for anyone else in the market. Right. Um, and, and, and that's the, that's the biggest concern. I think. And, and so, you know, Instagram is a good example of that. So what Facebook, I think what they have said is, you know, I don't know what the price tag was, but many hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, they said if 
you know, we, we found the product to be pretty good, pretty okay. We could have done it ourselves, but it's going to cost us more. So we just went and bought them. Uh, and, you know, anybody else could do uh, something better uh, at a future time and compete with us. So, you know, th this idea that I can, uh, if I'm Facebook or Google, I can just go out and buy something that I believe is sort of inferior, uh, but, you know, it's going to cost me more <laughs> to get there. And the regulators are basically saying, oh, yeah, that sounds that sounds right. That's OK. Yeah, but here's yeah. the thing. I mean, maybe maybe it, it, it could very well be the case that, yes, Instagram, I, I, I think it was purchased for uh, about a, a one billion um, in Instagram when it was purchased. Uh, benefited at, you know thereafter benefited from being under facebook i mean the platform benefited not the founders yeah. necessarily but the platform benefited from from uh being under facebook because it grew um and its impact now in the american social media market is uh dominant let's say um it it, it certainly has benefited from um from being under facebook but let's let's now ask the question let's say Facebook was prevented from this purchase yeah. and let's say Facebook did have to, in fact, spend all that money as, as it itself has yeah. argued, did have to spend all that money to develop a system that could effectively compete with Instagram. Well, maybe that would have been the right thing for society in any right. case. Maybe that would have pushed both Facebook and Instagram to develop uh, a service that, uh, you know, dual services that have to compete with one another. Maybe it would have, uh, uh, you know, filled the the market. Uh, the maybe it would have uh, redistributed a lot of wealth from Facebook yeah. to the rest of the labor market. Maybe it would have um, opened up and unlocked a lot of more opportunity for more people to enter the industry or take advantage of all this uh, distribution of capital. Uh, but how did we how did we get here, Dibayan? So you know, um, I believe six companies or something like that with market caps between one trillion and two trillion is uh, you know something like one third of the S and P five hundred is is locked up into six companies. These are all uh, major red flags from a monopoly perspective. But why is that we haven't been able to regulate these companies? What, 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 what is, what, how did we get here? I think, I think this is really a, a symptom of the American economic system. Uh, we, we have tended to favor uh, the open market. We've tended to favor this, uh, this um, spirit of capitalism. Uh, there's nothing necessarily wrong with yeah. that. But overriding that, we've we've also uh, over time uh, uh, developed this preference uh, toward uh, pre a preference for uh, big business, um, and you know I, I think I think over time uh, society tends to correct itself, and and there we there will be a time when when we have sufficient political sentiment, sufficient political will to do something about this uh, concentration of wealth, concentration of economic power and political power in these five or six companies, as you put it. Uh, yeah. but um, but, is, it, yeah. is it just, you know, um, so laws are laws. So is it that our regulatory framework is not sufficient to actually deal with you know, what we have. You, you mentioned in the paper, uh, uh, Germany has something called Federal Cartel Office, FCO, um, that has uh, brought um, a case against Facebook. Uh, is, that, is it that the U.S. Um, monopoly laws and the, and the, and the regulatory framework um, is not sufficient to deal with this type of companies? This is this is the subject of a major debate, as you know, Gil, right now, uh, where uh, and we, we just had this antitrust hearing in, in the House Judiciary Committee uh, yeah. a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I, I think I think it's it's very much an open debate. Do we need antitrust and competition policy reform or 
do our existing uh, uh, authorities uh, are they sufficient to uh, combat the, uh, the the economic concentration and resulting political power that these companies yeah. have? You know, I, I think I think we've come to a stage now where yes, we we do need to think about uh, very strict reform. Mm -hmm. Um, here's what I would say, suggest. Let, let's say uh, that we have a change of administration um, come November, and I only say that in the sense that you know, new fresh blood often brings in new thinking. Right. Um, but let, let's say that we have a new administration in November, or a new administration for that matter in, in 2024, <laughs> um, 2025, and, uh, and with it, uh, a lot of new thinking around what needs to happen uh, around, uh, around market competition. What I would suggest is that uh, the new, this, new, this hypothetical new administration uh, think seriously about, first, enforcing our antitrust laws to the, to the word, because right now there is some room for, uh, for the FTC uh, to do more, and it's simply not doing that. Um, it's, uh, to be fair, it's engaging in inquiry, it's engaging in discussion with the public. It is, uh, in, at least in, in, um, you know, in its uh, positioning, it is suggesting that it is thinking seriously about what authority it should uh, a attempt to assert um, uh, to potentially reverse a statement of policy from 2015, uh, to potentially... Um, apply itself and, and uh, enforce uh, the existing antitrust laws uh, more effectively or, or more stringently, let's yeah. say. It is thinking about all that. I'm skeptical as to whether or not under current leadership it will do all that. Mm. Um, but, uh, but that remains to be seen. But, but that's something I would, you know, as, as a new president, um, one should uh, definitely, uh, in, in my personal view, really uh, stamp that authority over the FTC. You know, the president can't tell the FTC or any independent regulatory agency anything in particular, but what he or she can do is appoint or nominate uh, certain kinds of individuals who will do certain kinds of things. And, and that is the sort of uh, leadership I think we, uh, we need. If that doesn't result in the, in the kind of economic change that we want, um, then I think we need to think about rebalancing uh, power across society. Um, and and that, that would involve new legislation for sure. Yeah, so um, uh, typically, you know, you, you look at a market and you say there's a new entrant that has captured 10% of the market in, in very, uh, very quickly. Uh, you would say that is sort of a competitive, uh, you know, sign of competitive, competitiveness in the market. But you argue that is not the case here, right? I'm talking about Amazon. And, and why do you think that is not the case? I don't think that's the case here because uh, when we, you know, I, I, I'll put it this way. The spend on digital advertising is only currency. Mm -hmm. the, the, these are all um, two-sided platforms where Facebook, uh, you know, Facebook is, uh, is, is working on one side with, uh, with its consumers, it's monopolized social media. Google has monopolized online video and and email. So that is that is that should be the subject of our. Scrutiny. So they have they have taken the market. They sort of segmentized it, and they are monopolizing exactly. segments of it. They are monopolizing segments, and that that results in the inevitable question: Well, is the monopolization of this segment important enough to invite regulatory scrutiny? We can come to that in a second, but. They're monopolizing these segments. They're lifting this currency from those segments, extracting it at a monopolistic yeah. rate. So they have that currency. And the place where they're exchanging that currency for dollars happens to be in digital advertising. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that's the only place where they can get that currency fairly exchanged. But do you see what yeah, I'm saying? So that's, that, that's, that's interesting. So middle. If, uh, I don't know this, uh, Devine. So if you look at the economics of some of those segments, some of the some of that economics may not be great, right? Uh, but but it's also a loss leader type potential strategy that says, you know, I'm just sitting in that segment, uh, mining gold, 
and how I'm going to monetize the gold is elsewhere. That's exactly that's exactly uh, in my in my view what's happening yeah. here, that, um, and and these companies all know it. They know it well. But uh, let's let's keep on hoodwinking the public. Let's keep on misleading politicians in in Washington over exactly how our company works, exactly the sorts of commercial arrangements that we make, um, and let's keep on pushing this uh, misleading statement that that uh, we we don't have a monopoly over digital advertising. <laughs> yeah. Because you know that that's not the place to look. The place to look is social media. And, you know, I think to your point, perhaps we will need new legislation. Perhaps we will need to rethink uh, the way that we regulate this industry or set of industries because uh, perhaps our antitrust author- existing antitrust authority doesn't effectively capture uh, market uh, market problems in uh, in the consumer internet industry because it's we all know that the internet is fundamentally different from electric utilities or railroads or uh, other traditional industries. But they're sort it, of it, sort it, of similar though, like you said, right? They are, uh, you know, search could be considered a utility, and it is so. It is it is really a natural monopoly because there's so much scale in it. And so, if 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 that's the case, then we should consider search to be a utility that you know, if regulated that way could substantially increase consumer welfare. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I think that it is very much a utility uh, and that Google search is a natural monopoly. Uh, there's no one that can, that can ever unseat it. And, and Google search is not incentivized to really innovate as quickly as uh, it would in a more competitive uh, set of circumstances. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I want to jump into another paper, uh, Deva, and this is kind of related. It makes the monopoly power even worse. So this is the commercialization of decision-making towards a regulatory framework to address machine bias over the internet. Um, so you say the consumer internet has exal- exal- uh, <laughs> created the discrimination problem worse. Uh, the business model that sits behind the front end of the internet industry is one that focuses on the unchecked collection of personal information and continual creation refinement of behavioral profiles on the individual user and the development of algorithms that curate that content. And, you know, uh, in, in small scale, we have seen this in healthcare, for example. I can quite remember there was a case um, in New York against an insurance company that had an algorithm that basically predicted um, how much care should be disbursed to a patient based on the patient's characteristics. Uh, and they found that, you know, less care was needed for African-Americans. And the reason was that they were using historical data and they demanded less care previously. And that would imply that the algorithm would then continue to perpetuate history. And so, so, so you can now take this to the social media type environment to say, you know, whatever algorithm that you create using historical data is going to be a collection of biases in it, right? There's, there's no doubt that, uh, that yes, when you, when you design a machine learning algorithm or more generally a artificial intelligence to, uh, uh, you know, uh, d- disperse, disperse insurance uh, or, or uh, determine whether or not someone uh, should be, uh, subject to a housing advertisement yeah. or uh, whatever it might be, um, d- determine someone's credit score. Let's right. say, uh, determine whether or not someone should should be invited to to join a credit uh, credit card, um, or for that matter, determine what kinds of social content an individual should see should see in the in the newsfeed, or what kind of ad he or she should see. Uh, on the on the panel in in, in Google search uh, engine results pages, yes. uh, all of these kinds of algorithmic decisions involve the use of historical data, uh, the application of a presumptive model, and decisions that and at the end of the day have an impact on our consumption of media or have an impact on our uh, ability to do finance. 
have an ability have a, have an impact on our ability to take part in and fully participate in in uh, the economy. Um, and are uh, are companies all across the board um, uh, perpetuating instituting and perpetuating bias, including Google and Facebook? You bet they are. And the, the why why are they? Um, the real reason that this is happening is that, again, revisiting our prior conversation about capitalism, we have a, we have an open open market system. Yes. Uh, that means that any company can essentially do what it wants until and unless it's 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 told not to. Um, respecting, of course, the boundaries that that have been set uh, for it. Um, the fact is that in the space of algorithmic decision making, there's very little that has been said as to what Google can or cannot do, what Facebook can or cannot do, or what any sort of company can or cannot do um, with respect to collecting data, analyzing data, and making decisions over that uh, personal information. Yeah, the, you uh, know, the, the scary part of this, uh, Divine, is, you know, it, it is also possible that these companies haven't really focused on it uh, in the sense that, you know, when you get enamored by algorithms and artificial intelligence, you say there is so much data here, we can actually make the computers uh, analyze all that data. And, uh, and and it's presumed that the computers are going to bring up the right decisions. Uh, the problem we have, though, is that 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 historical data is has a set of biases that then gets perpetuated almost unknowingly through the system, right? So this is why when you have social media monopoly power, that makes this problem worse. You know, you can imagine a competitive uh, environment where there are 100 firms competing for mindshare. These type of errors uh, could be found out a lot faster, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Let, let's not be overly harsh on, on companies. Let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I, I think you're right that, that, um, you know, in a, in a space when I'll put it this way in in a, in a novel industry where there are very limited rules of the road that are established by governments, whether it's the U S or, or Germany or wherever, um, it, in, in an open capitalistic set, uh, system, yeah. uh, you have to be up there innovating. That means you have to cut as many corners as you can cut mm. um, according to what's socially acceptable, let's say. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and try to dominate the industry. Try to, try to claim that extra bit of market share because if you don't, someone else will until they're told not to do it. Um, so what does that mean for a company like Facebook in designing its newsfeed algorithm or a company like Google designing its targeted advertising? Well, that means that, look, if, if, if Google does not give the opportunity for an advertiser to reach the specific audiences that the advertiser wishes to reach, even if that d- potential dissemination could be discriminatory against a marginalized group of people, if Google doesn't allow that sort of behavior, then someone else will. And that someone else will capture that revenue. And this is the core reason why we need not a system of communism, not a system of socialism, not a system of pure uninhibited capitalism, but a system of regulated capitalism where we invite that kind of innovation, but then we we specify where the rules of the road should be for for uh, any company. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. You know, some, sometimes people confuse this. So capitalism for for capitalism to function properly, um, laws have to be implemented consistently, right? You know, it, it's it is it is really a principle, right? You you can. You have to have the same set of rules uh, applied to a large investment bank uh, compared to, you know, a manufacturer, a small manufacturer. We, ha- we should, we can have only one set of rules, and they have to be consistently applied across the entire economy. That that is how capitalism works. 
we don't really have capitalism today. We have actually set up rules. Somebody's playing soccer and somebody's playing football. And, you know, the, the soccer playing people will never see the football playing people. And, uh, and that is not really capitalism. It's crony capitalism. That's, that's exactly right. Um, you know, I, I think, I think to uh, cut straight to that crony, cronyism, uh, the part, part of the problem with Silicon Valley today, part of the problem with our use of the platforms of Silicon Valley today is that these platforms have a, a political infrastructure behind them. They have a, 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 an army of, uh, of very intelligent people policy officials within these companies, uh, trade associations and uh, advocacy organizations working on behalf of these companies in Washington, D.C., who are all uh, pushing certain messaging in Washington, um, pushing certain messaging in in London and Brussels and New Delhi, which um, very often has a tremendous impact on the policymaking process. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, we're talking about, you know, in, in, a, in a capitalistic system, unless you unless you regulate against it, companies will have lobbyists. Those lobbyists will try to do right by their companies. Yeah. Nothing necessarily wrong with that, so long as we all know that it's happening and, and we, uh, as a society, agree that it should be fair, which, you know, I have my own thoughts about it, but but uh, but I think it's fair to say that lobbying is 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 generally acceptable in the U united states uh, and in in these other jurisdictions around the world um it perhaps makes sense to give companies the the capacity at least to to share their perspectives um especially in a in a in a country where we're trying to prioritize the openness of the market um and prioritize the pace of innovation um but the but is that oftentimes there 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 are gaps. Yes. Very often there are areas of advocacy where these companies push a certain thing uh, at the expense of their own co uh, consumers, at the expense of American uh, Americans yes. and and the American democracy. And I think there are just too many examples like that to count. And so that is so that is sort of the theme of your book, right? Terms of disservice how Silicon Valley is destructive by design. Uh, talk a bit about, um, you know, so what you, what you mean by, is it the structure of Silicon Valley or is it specific actions the companies are taking? I think, I think it's all of the above. Yeah. Um, stepping back and, and, and looking at this, uh, looking at this whole uh, industry uh, from a, from a broad perspective, what we, what we have is let's let's look at 1990. In 1990, uh, we had a new invention, the you know the the internet around that yeah. time, uh, uh, the the protocols um, that uh, that we now have thanks to Tim Berners Lee. And uh, meanwhile, of course, Moore's law was uh, was uh, active as it is now, where whereby uh, semiconductor uh, sizes are are going down and down each yeah. year. Um, and what does that mean? We, well, we, that meant that we have this new capacity and connectivity coming together with increasingly, uh, or in, increase the increasing pace of, uh, uh, capacities in data storage yeah. and computing. Right. Um, and I would say that around 2000 or so we, we crossed a threshold. We crossed the threshold thanks to this open, uh, capitalistic system that we have, whereby uh, it suddenly became uh, possible and economically viable for companies to pursue precisely the sort of business model that you uh, uh, that you shared uh, earlier. Um, to one, collect as much data as possible on people uh, to the end of behavioral uh, profiling. Two, uh, develop algorithms to hold those people's attention um, algorithms that are tremendously opaque um, but essentially curate content and target ads and um, profile individuals and three uh, 
engage in aggressive platform growth uh, through corporate development and uh, other means uh, and, and effectively hold rivals at bay and take advantage of this natural monopoly, increasingly uh, natural monopoly status, right. um, whereby it's this business model that is at the core of any company that you look at in the sector, whether it's Facebook or Google or Microsoft or Amazon or even Twitter or Snapchat are, are trying to do this. Yes. Um, and uh, and um, that's what I mean by destructive by design. It's these companies are forced into this corner. You you cannot be at the top of the industry unless you follow this business mm. model, which which um, necessarily exploits people's data. Which means you're exploiting someone's personality, their individuality, their autonomy, their privacy. For sure, and it's it's you know I mean the danger as we saw in 2016 is that these platforms actually now provides a way for uh, an external actor uh, to, uh, to get even democratic outcomes they desire. That's exactly right. This, this whole uh, design has created the capacity for, uh, for instance, a, a Chanel or an NBA or a disinformation operator or a malicious political campaign to uh, to activate this system, uh, activate its its uh, desire uh, to uh, to push disinformation, to push political lies, to push uh, hate speech, anything uh, over the network, and it doesn't necessarily have to be advertising either. Um, you know, I think sophisticated actors on social media now know how to reach their constituencies through organic content too. Yeah, but um, I think, you know, um, you know more about this than I do. You know, what Facebook and uh, Google might say now is that they have very sophisticated algorithms on the platform uh, that can tease out, smell out, you know, any type of bad stuff and, uh, and take care of it. Uh, you know, in any industry, when you have, a solution that says, uh, I, I, you know, I have a problem, but I have another program that takes care of that problem. <laughs> we, we, know, <laughs> we know that is never going to work. You know, it's a bit like if I decide an aircraft and I find that there is a problem, but then I'm going to put another program, you know, that when that problem crops up, it will take care of it, um, will be a disastrous design. So, so I, I'll put it this yeah. way. Uh, does Mark Zuckerberg care more about the principal algorithm that that makes him his historic profit margins, or does he care more about that secondary algorithm that contains the negative externalities generated by that first one? I, I think I think it goes without saying that that he has to think about his shareholders first. Yes, and so. Um, so this goes back into our earlier discussion, you know, uh, so, you know, you think about monopoly laws and other structural features. Yeah, it's almost like when, when you have all these threats, including external forces on this broadly available platforms that could um, that could create negative outcomes, even for the, for the, for democracy in this case, uh, the the. Maybe let me make a statement, and he can object to that. Divine, you know, uh, it's a lot better to have fifteen companies rather than one or two, because in, in a in a market like that, these type of issues, I would argue, is going to be less because if it is happening on on platform five, you know, platform seven and nine uh, are going to find that a lot faster than platform seven itself. That's that's absolutely true. Uh, yes, I, I think I think uh, this kind of coordinated response to nefarious content uh, can can definitely help. Uh, th there's a there's a counter argument that is often raised by uh, companies like Facebook, which say that if you're a smaller company, you're not. Uh, you, they they say mm -hmm. that you know if if you want to force this sort of content moderation on us through regulation, go ahead. Yeah, but. What you're going to be doing is uh, is imposing costs on all the smaller companies, and and uh, it's only us, companies like Facebook and Google, that can that can comply with this regulation. Yeah, so I want uh, to get your perspective on this, and you know, coming from Facebook as well, you know, so content moderation 
uh, at least on the surface, seems like a bad idea, right? I mean, you don't know where to stop uh, when you go down that path. And as we know, regulators are probably not that not experts in in content moderation, and so very blunt tools like that are probably not not a good thing. Uh, and so then you ask, so you know. Um, how do we actually counteract the misinformation? No, so suppose we say there is somebody, there is an entity that looks at all information and it's going to tag it, you know, between zero and 10. Uh, 10 meaning it is, it's absolute ground truth. Zero mean, means it's absolute um, wrong uh, thing, not wrong thing, but it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a lie or it's, it's not truth. Um, you know, if you create an entity like that, we, we have all the problems that come with, you know, that type of a situation too, right? So is there is yeah. there anything that is obvious to you that would take care of this problem? Well, I think this goes back to our question of, of, uh, of the business model. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the business model uh, that is inst instigating all these negative externalities. It, the business model being... Uh, you know, this focus on data collection to the end of behavioral advertising, this development of algorithms uh, in a very opaque but sophisticated manner to hold our attention. Uh, and, and finally, this, this holding at bay of, of other rivals, potential rivals through aggressive platform growth yeah. to national monopoly. This is, uh, this is something that instigates the, the problems around dis the spread of disinformation. Mm -hmm. Uh, spread of hate speech, the uh, harms to privacy, uh, the institution of, uh, of commercialized bias, uh, all of these kinds of negative externalities in, in my personal view are uh, uh, a, a product of this, of this business model. They're negative externalities. And um, I think to control the negative externalities, what we can do is Think about regulation of the business model. Think about privacy. Think about transparency over those algorithms, privacy for our data, competition uh, to, to enable greater innovation in the marketplace. And I think by doing those things, we can reduce the, the rate of these negative externalities from 100% down to 10% or even lower. Yeah, so let um, so me ask you this, Devon. So one thing that you suggested um, you know, let's let just conceptually, if you say platforms like Facebook and Google are natural monopolies and uh, they could be considered utilities, the platforms, uh, but then applications on that platform. I don't know if you would consider Instagram to be an application on a Facebook platform uh, that could be completely open. Anybody could go on that platform, create their applications and compete with, compete with others. The problem from a business model perspective, if I understand what you're saying, uh, is that these platforms have natural monopoly-like characteristics in them. They are really utilities that everybody is using. And so if they're regulated that way, uh, but, but keep anything on top of that to be open, I wonder if that will at least move us in the right direction. Yeah, no, I, I think this is a, a brilliant question, brilliant uh, direction of analysis. Uh, and I think you could argue that, yeah, you know, the individual platforms within these uh, uh, corporations like Instagram, like WhatsApp, are natural monopolies in a sense. They serve a very specific market. They, they serve that market as a encrypted text messaging platform and WhatsApp as a natural monopoly within that sector or mm. serve the specific market of uh, uh, picture share, politically correct picture sharing, <laughs> let's say, uh, <laughs> and social media, which, you know, there's no other, there's no other company that, that effectively does that. Mm. Um, uh, Instagram certainly has a, has a, you could argue a natural monopoly in that space, but I, I would also argue that there, there's a set of super natural monopolies. There, Facebook, the corporation, right. natural monopoly that, uh, that, could, uh, that, that should be the subject of our analysis. 
uh, as a as a first uh, layer, uh, in the sense, if if it's if it, if the business model is focused on data collection and algorithmic development and uh, and and you know uh, platform growth, some might argue that well, you know, a company like WhatsApp doesn't meet all those uh, considerations. You know, it, it doesn't in the sense that it doesn't collect any data, it doesn't, um, uh, or, or rather, it's encrypted. So Facebook can't see the majority of data over over WhatsApp, mm -hmm. news algorithms. What I would say is it's contributive to Facebook's business overall business model. Mm -hmm. Because you can you can bet that uh, your social graph is revealed over WhatsApp is very useful data to Facebook. You can you can also bet that uh, WhatsApp's uh, uh, control over the text messaging space globally is uh, is very important to Facebook's the corporation's future uh, in in the consumer internet ecosystem. So um, I think I think that's the the uh, right layer of analysis. Uh, of course, it's not necessarily easy. You know, it, it's it's not a trivial thing to suggest that. You know, we want to bring regulatory action against this corporation, mm -hmm. but how do we do it? Yeah, you know, it's it's politically and technically a very difficult, uh, very difficult problem. Yeah, I mean, you got to prove that you got to prove the corporation is a natural monopoly, and you know, you you think about Facebook platform, you think about search, Google search. These have very good characteristics of natural monopolies. And we have done that to electric utilities. We have done that to others. And there is no reason reinventing the Facebook platform. There is no reason reinventing the Google search. It, it will be a waste of resources for society and, and, and for everybody else. So, Precisely. you know, rather than creating Google 2 to compete with Google, we may just own up to the fact that search is really a utility that everybody should should have. And natural monopoly, uh, I don't exactly, um, you know, it, it might be a return um, type regulation, just like electric utilities, maybe other, other ways you can think about it. Um, and then, you know, my, without knowing a lot about it, uh, I'll think about WhatsApp and Instagram as, as separate companies that operate on that ut utility platform. So it's almost yeah. like electricity, you know, uh, WhatsApp gets their power through the, through the Facebook, app, Facebook platform, but that's a different company altogether. I, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. Uh, that's exactly right. That uh, uh, WhatsApp is only contributive to, uh, to the full economic force behind Facebook. It's, independently a very important company, no doubt. If it were to break off of Facebook tomorrow, then it would still be very important. But who knows for how long? Yeah. Because if Facebook is then allowed to grow Messenger or grow a new uh, text messaging platform and integrate it fully with Facebook, then and, and meanwhile shut WhatsApp out of, uh, out of its systems, then I would bet on that uh, taking over the market. You know, of course, that, that presumes that there wouldn't be regulation stating that Facebook can't do those things. Yeah, so so that's why I'm very attracted to uh, what what you are thinking, which is it, it's regulation on the business model. Um, it, it is you know not the typical things that people say. You know, it's too big. Let's break it up. That is not the issue. It's actually really thinking through what creates the issue. Um, for me, what creates the issue is there is huge amount of scale in these business models. And with scale comes power, unfortunately. Um, but you could separate scale from, um, you know, specific applications that people use. When you intermix them on the platform, your power sort of grows exponentially and you can't even see <laughs> what is being stored uh, on the platform anymore. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you know, I think I think some might then ask us, you know, well, you're you're suggesting these should be regulated as natural monopolies. You're suggesting that that Facebook should be a natural monopoly or Google should be a natural monopoly in the same way that uh, an electric utility company uh, 
is uh, is a natural monopoly. But doesn't that uh, mean that uh, the government will designate this one and only provider of a particular kind of service? And I would say no. You know that that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. That that we uh, that in uh, instituting this natural monopoly or utility sort of regulation, uh, we have to hamstring ourselves and say that well. In, in regulating you like a utility Facebook, we're also going to designate you as the sole provider. Um, since, as you, as you put uh, eloquently earlier, uh, it only makes sense for society to invest in one. I don't think we have to hamstring ourselves that way. I, th- I think we can, we can acknowledge the market power of a company like Facebook or Google. We can acknowledge its uh, strong uh, uh, natural monopoly features. Uh, we can call it a natural monopoly. We needn't regulate it like uh, like a utility in that traditional sense. But I think we, in in making all those assertions, we can uh, essentially extract all that uh, extra wealth that that Facebook is extracting currently, <laughs> yeah. uh, redistributed across society. Because that I think is is what's needed. That we diminish Facebook's. <laughs> uh, 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 profit margins from whatever they are right now, 100%, 200%, 500%, I, I don't know. Um, we diminish those profit margins uh, to something that's more reasonable. And in fact, it's profit margins themselves that are often the subject of competition policy analysis that are you extracting too much wealth from the rest of society? Are you extracting too much wealth from the labor market, from other media organizations uh, that that maybe take certain steps to protect democracy, protect consumers. Are you taking too much wealth from the rest of society? If so, um, then well, we need to redistribute that wealth in some way and and knock your uh, profit margins back down from five hundred percent to one hundred percent, which is still pretty high. Right. Right. Yeah. So so in conclusion, Devan, uh, assuming that we have a an administration change. A um, lot of people are hoping for that. Um, what would be, what would be from your perspective, you know, sort of the the first step that you would take uh, toward a better, better structure? Well, I, you know, I think I think we've uh, thank you, Gil. I, I think I think we've come to a state where our media ecosystem has completely changed, and we need to acknowledge that it has changed fundamentally from the traditional. Uh, place where we were in, let's say, 1990, and and we now are in an age of uh, of high high content, high targeting, and uh, high curation, uh, where uh, the companies that that are dominating the internet today have tremendous economic and media power, um, and uh, to really start to combat that, we need to we need to think about how their business models are structured and how we got here. Um, that doesn't mean we need to say Facebook's bad and, and, and we need to break up Facebook or we need to regulate Facebook's business model and focus on Facebook, but rather that we look at the ways that this business model came out of nothing. Yeah. And we think long and hard about how that came to be and, and start to think about how uh, to redistribute the wealth that is concentrated in Facebook back to the rest of society. And to do that, I think we need um, better, we, we need a new digital rights framework. We need a new social contract, a new uh, negotiation of this distribution of power between consumers and, and the corporate. And to institute that, I think I think ultimately we will need a very strong privacy law. We will need to rethink competition as we discussed earlier yeah uh, and we will need radical transparency over the ways that companies uh push content at us whether it's organic or or targeted advertising yeah we didn't get a chance to touch on this i just want to quickly ask you so you know uh, one could uh, argue at the highest level yeah your information is yours not somebody else's and if somebody else is taking your information, there has to be a monetization back to you. Uh, what we don't have in the system today is really, uh, what we have is theft. 
or valuable information, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, so maybe what we need is also on top of it, sort of a market for information that the, the person who actually owns that information could actually monetize. I, I completely agree. And, uh, I think theft is not an unfair characterization of what's happening because there's a tremendous uh, information asymmetry between the consumer and the consumer's experience of Facebook or Google. Where you think of the 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 uh, you know the the merchant, the fish mer the, the fishmonger in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. Think of uh, you know the people on the streets uh, in in Chennai. Yeah. These are the typical users of Facebook, uh, um, and there's there's I think and th think of college students in in the United States. I think there's a a, a lack of awareness across the board uh, in all of these constituencies, and we need uh, we need a um, I, I'm I'm not willing to accept that uh, that um, every person in the world in every circumstance. Uh, can come to understand how uh, how these platforms work, and I wouldn't want to require it of everyone. What I'd want instead is is uh, for companies to do the right thing, and if they don't, then uh, they deserve to be regulated. We deserve to diminish that information asymmetry and enable uh, our people, enable consumers uh, to uh, to make fully informed decisions uh, that that are the best for them. Right. Right. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, this has been great, Dubayan. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for spending time with me. And uh, good luck. Uh, good luck in Washington. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure uh, uh, to have such a cerebral uh, conversation with you. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. All right.